Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good afternoon and welcome. Thank you for joining us in the Minnesota MUFON's March meeting on March 9th, 2019, coming to you from the New Brighton Community Center in New Brighton, Minnesota. My name is Tom Maher. I'm the Minnesota MUFON State Director. I want to thank you all for joining us today for our Experiencer Speaker Panel. Well, with no further ado, I want to get our speakers up here and give them their time to share their stories with you. And then we'll take a short break. We'll have a little another short presentation. And then we'll have a Q&A panel afterwards. So you'll have an opportunity to ask our speakers questions. Our first speaker, his name is Kenny. Would you please welcome Kenny to the stage? Our second speaker, his name is Joe. Please welcome Joe. And our final speaker is Mr. Well, Mr. Mike. We'll just call him Mike. Please welcome Mike to the stage. I always use his last name, but I didn't want to use his last name. So, yep, Rumpelstiltskin. So, so each of the speakers, you'll each have thirty minutes to talk about whatever you choose to. If you want to take questions during your thirty minutes, that's up to you. But it cuts in your thirty minutes. You'll have questions and answers later. But other than that, you've got timers in front of you. And Kenny, you may begin. Hi, everybody. Hi, my name is Kenneth Thompson. Uh, Go ahead. Yep. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I just want to say hi, everybody. Like I said, hey, um, I get to tell you about my wonderful UFO experience. I guess it doesn't happen to all of us every day, but, you know, I'm pretty good at describing what had happened to me and said when. But I got to go back in reference to when I first started coming here to move fun. Um, they did say one saying to me that I wasn't thinking of before this last experience, let's say, because the last experience I was uh, thinking of was what just recently happened to me. But then they had said, well, when was the first time you ever had a UFO experience? And then I kind of flashed back to actually when I was 16 and I was having this experience where I just laid on the bed and all of a sudden a UFO came right through my window. And the darn thing was not much more bigger than right here. You could have literally grabbed it like King Kong and held on to it. And the thing landed on my chest, and literally I remember a little ramp come down, and a little UFO man about that big just came on down the ramp, and that's literally all I remember. So, uh, But now I'm going to tell you about the experience that I had just recently, uh, because basically my life's been kind of shattered. i got to just be honest about all that. My life's really kind of been shattered because um, ever since this kind of happened, it happened not just to me but my whole family. And 
I lived up in northern Minnesota as of, let's say, seven months ago. I was living up in northern Minnesota between Grand Rapids and Hill City. And uh, living out in the country, just enjoying life like normal. And um, one day, we went up to Hill City just to get something. I still don't remember what it was. It doesn't matter. But when we were up there, um, I was coming out of the gas station, and we were facing out to the west. And for the life of me, I just looked up in the clouds, and I seen this perfect, I mean this perfect anvil cloud, right? And it, it, it looked like an arm holding an anvil like Thor's hammer, okay? And all the other clouds were bright white. This one was really dark, so it stood out. And I told my kids, I said, hey, I have four other children, and my wife were all in the car at the same time. I said, hey, look up there. Do you guys see that cloud? And they right away they noticed it too, and they said the same thing, like I said, that it looked like Thor's hammer and all that. Well, the next thing you know, just as we paid attention to it, I see come right out, right behind it, go off to the right, I see a UFO. And it was chrome-colored, and it had flashing red, green, and white lights on it. Now, I'm watching it it twinkling up there, and I didn't make nothing but just that reference. And just as I was going to say it to everybody in the car, everybody else had noticed it too. They're like, hey. So we're all watching it up there, and just as we all said, hey, and all had the recollection that it was floating up there, it went right behind that anvil cloud that we were talking about. So I was like, hey, it just like it could hear us from miles away up in the sky. I don't know how they do that, but maybe they got some super microphone and able to listen to our conversations down here because that seemed what was going on. Because just as soon as it, I said, hey, it went behind the cloud, then it pops out on the other side like it's starting to play with us. And we started going along with it like, hey, there it is. Now it's on. And every time we'd say, hey, it's out here, it'd go behind the cloud. Then it'd come out on the other side again. And hey, so we kept playing along with this literally for a minute and a half. And my wife's ex-military like me, too. I'm Air Force, and she's Army, and maybe she's a little bit hardcore than me. But she put a shutdown on this, and she's like, no, stop playing with it, kid, family. We're getting out of here. So I, I was like, sure, you know, I'm not making no big deal of it. So she t proceeds to take a left and head home. Now, I live seven miles south out, out in the country, and, and to be honest, right now, I could really use a smoke, but I know we're not allowed to have those in this place right now because when I tell this story, I'm always using Anybody got a smoke so we can just get really relaxed about it? But that's okay. We'll just go on without it today. So um, like I was saying, we are heading home out of Hill City. And like I said, I, I live seven miles south of Hill City on 169. And we were going home, and just as soon as we literally – we had our, I had my eyesight on that UFO the whole darn time. Never took my eyes off it. And just as soon as we got outside of Hill City, it was like it perfectly waited us to, just for us to get into, like, out of populace. It comes right down to the clouds like a bee right to us. And, I mean, it was right on our bumper, like 45-degree angle out behind us, like a balloon literally tied to our bumper. That's what it felt like. We couldn't shake it. We were going down the highway. And this thing is just everywhere we go in. My wife, too, she started to step onto the gas. We were going faster than the speed limit, I will tell you that. I mean, as fast as our little piece of junk car could go, she was hauling some butt. So she steps on the gas. And this thing, I'm not kidding, like I said, was following us all the way literally home, seven miles south of Hill City. Now, we turned, on to the, we turned off of the main road onto the, the dirt road, which is, is we, I live a mile onto the dirt road down by my house off of 169. Now, as we turned off of 169, um, we were 
starting to get really frantic. The kids are starting to scream, and I was kind of screaming too, like, hey, this thing's following us all the way home, you know. And so we're going down the dirt road, and I could see it just hovering right above the tree, same thing, just falling right behind us. And I thought we got like probably a quarter mile ahead on it, and we turned to where my driveway is to come up in on my house, and we're thinking, yeah, we shook it. I mean, like, come on, people. Like, you can shake something in the sky, right? It's not like a car following you down the road. So, but that was what we all felt like. We, like, we pulled up in the driveway right in front of my house. And we just thought, like I said, woo, woo, we got lucky. You know, this thing is over. Well, just as soon as we come up there and pull in the driveway, it was just like this damn thing had to be so ominous. All of a sudden, it just came up over the trees the smoky fog with it and everything, and this thing was bright. I mean, it was so bright. It was like your, I mean, these fluorescent lights really are low-grade white compared to the white that this thing was putting out. It was just so bright, and it came down literally right in front of our windshield, and we just start screaming, okay? I mean, I'm a military guy, and I really did try to keep my stuff together, but I'm not going to lie. I was screaming right along with the whole family and I'm in the front seat and my kids are just losing it in the back seat and we're all leaning forward like this looking at it and it comes right down six feet if that right outside our windshield just hovering there and it was got so bright I couldn't even see nobody in the car next to me it was just so bright I don't know how it even projected this bright whiteness light but it filled up the whole car like it was almost liquid I mean it was just so penetrating I couldn't even see my wife sitting right next to me so I'm sitting in this bright 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 white just like ah and then the next boom, next thing you know I'm sitting in my living room and we're all standing there in a perfect circle and I don't know if you know the Michael Jackson video where he's all leaning out so far where he looks like he should fall but he's hanging there just like that well my me and my whole family were sitting in a circle facing outwards just like that Michael Jackson video and we're all frozen, and I could just as I was frozen forward towards the outside window, and I could look out there, and I could see the UFO just right there, bright white light still, and then it just, and as soon as it flew away, we all could move, and we were like, and my wife, you know, I, I, I hate to crack up and say that she'd be smarter than me or anything like that, but, you know, she seemed to get the recollection before me. She right away put a kibosh on this. She just said, listen, I think something happened. And I'm like, I think something happened. And then before I could even get out the whole alien and stuff and all that kind of stuff, she goes, and I, well, I think I may have said, I said, did we get abducted? And then as soon as I got that out of my mouth, my wife was like, we are not going to talk about this as a family. She's a Catholic Italian, real Catholic Italian, by the way. Uh, and she just said, we are not going to talk about this. We're never going to share this with nobody, blah, 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 blah. Now, like this, I said, this happened seven years ago when I was married to her. And then as of, let's say, eight months ago, I really started, I couldn't leave it alone. I wasn't sleeping good, really horrible night's sleep. I just felt like I just couldn't leave it alone. And my whole family really... I love using this word now, got, became like alienated to me. You love that word alien in there, you know, uh, but <laughs> they became alienated to me. Because- okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch -ch 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 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Because I just started having so many questions, and I wanted to talk about it, and I wanted to deal with it. My family really did not want to deal with it. They wanted to just keep it quiet and go on like nothing happened. So I wouldn't leave it alone. Now, like I said, we're going through divorce now, unfortunately. And um, when I moved out seven months ago, I moved into some neighbors because I have a lot of friends up there in northern Minnesota. I'm a very friendly guy, and I have a lot of friends up there. They offered me a place to stay, right? So when I stayed at their house, they're only a mile down the road, literally, from where I usually live at my house. So they offered me to stay the night there, or stay with them, live with them. And so I stayed with them for about a month. Well, during that month that I was there, I uh, one night I just never thought about it too much. I really didn't. But that night, I, I woke up in the middle of the night, literally just sat up out of my bed like this, and I see that bright same white UFO outside my window. And I didn't make nothing of it. I honestly did not. I, I just woke up like this, looked at it, and went, and I just went right back to bed, not thinking anything had even happened to me, to be honest. So the next morning, I wake up, though, and the very, very, very first thing, sub, what do you call it, subconsciously, my body does is, I got to put this down. I'm sitting there. And I just sit up in bed, and the very first thing I do, my arm goes like this and starts itching the inside of my arm. And I wasn't thinking nothing of it, but then all of a sudden I'm like, why am I itching the inside of my arm? And then as I looked at my arm, I was like, oh, my gosh. I got the first tattoo that I ever had in my whole life. <laughs> and I, just to be honest with you all, I have a very religious background, and I know, you know, the Bible says, he says, thou shalt not mar your skin. Those chapters meant something to me. And because even when I went through the military, I was one of the hardest flying, uh, trained flights, 06 trainee. And I did not want to get a, a tattoo with my fellow flight members. So I fought them at the tattoo parlor, literally, because they're trying to hold me down to the chair. And I was like, get off me. I don't want no tattoos. So obviously, I didn't get a tattoo. So that's how hard I felt against tattoos. So when I woke up that morning, I was... I was really mad. I was flabbergasted and mad, like, how in the heck did I get this triangle tattoo? Where did this come from? So I literally start tearing my bedroom apart, literally. I mean, from top to bottom, just trying to find some three-pronged triangle thing that poked me in my arm. I was just trying to make sense of it. Also not putting together that the night prior, this seeing that UFO out my window, I didn't even put those two and two together yet. And it finally, it took literally, like, after I scoured my room looking for the, whatever poked me, I, and all of a sudden I said, oh, my gosh, there was that white light the night before. And then I put it together, and I was like, oh, my gosh, they came back. They're, 
they're messing with me now, you know, because that's all I could understand was I was like, how could they, unless they came back from me, that's the only reason I could figure that I got that mark. Because when I realized, like I said in my head, that I had seen a, that UFO the night before, it all kind of came to me. So now I'm sitting there with that recollection, and I really kind of just got fed up with the whole thing and basically made contact with, with these guys because, you know, I really wanted to figure out what is going on because I still don't know today, in all honesty, what is going on. I mean, I've talked to other members, and, and he even gave me – today we had uh, breakfast, me and Mike, and uh, or early lunch, let's say – and when we were there, he said something. <laughs> I'm going to just tell him because it perplexed me. I was saying that once when I, I had a heat stroke once when I was a young kid, and I was like 14 or something like that. And the night, they didn't tell me nothing about it, but it was a real severe bad one. And then that night, I went to bed, I guess, and my parents in the morning found me in the laundry room on top of all the clothes in the laundry room. Now, they come in there, I guess. I, this is their story. I don't have no recollection of it. But they tell me that is. They come in there, and they try to grab me, and I put up this huge fight with them, and they're like, I just guess I kept calling them aliens. I kept calling them aliens left and right. And then finally the mic gives me this big recollection today. He's like, Dan, you might have had some more goings on with them even earlier in your life than you even have any recollection of and because you use that reference of calling your parents aliens. And I was like, boy, that that's making me think now. <laughs> so... Um, I think I pretty much have told you what I know as of now. Now, I'm, I am in the coming months. Uh, I've been literally saving up my pennies to get hypnotized just so I can really kind of have more to tell you guys of what happened in between that, you know, that moment between being in the car and instantaneously. And it felt like literally instantaneously from being in the car to in that living room. So I just still to this day don't have no recollection of how we did it or how they did it, but that's pretty much my story. Sure. I'll pass the mic. Yeah. Uh, I'm Joe. Uh, I was recalled by the Air Force uh, to be a subject in the uh, Montauk Project. I don't know if anyone knows what the Montauk Project is or not. Uh, what you find on the web, because there's a lot of information on it, probably never happened. Uh, the stuff that sounds, you know, standard. Uh, the stuff that sounds so far out there at sci-fi, yeah, that's probably what we were doing. Uh, anyway... Uh, for me, it started when I enlisted in the Air Force, and I wasn't in for very long. I had the opportunity, and I shook the wrong person's hand and knew too much, and uh, then they gave me a combination of uh, peyote and LSD, and, uh, of course, that got me a little paranoid, and that got me out of the Air Force. But in 1983, I was recalled for therapy, and so I drove from uh, Moorhead, Minnesota, down to the Twin Cities here. And during my therapy sessions, they flew a galleon from uh, Montauk Island, New York, to be my therapist. They had a C-30 cassette that they put on the desk. And uh, the office that I was in was uh, 
across Highway 55 from the uh, uh, VA centers, um, the uh, airport. And it was up on the third floor. There were tape marks on the floor as to where her desk was supposed to be, where my chair was supposed to be that I was sitting in. There was a square that her chair could run around in for a rolling chair. Uh, the C30 cassette uh, that they had there, which means it was 15 minutes on the side. Uh, they clicked the set, cassette on, and within a couple minutes, I would be out. And uh, I'd hear a click off at the end of the session. And they swore to me that it played the whole the whole time through, even though a C30 is 15 minutes on a side. Uh, during that time, there was no airport traffic at the international airport. It shut down because they were using the radar beam uh, to trigger psychological states by jumping the radar beam up and down. Today we call that type of system a weather radar. Uh, back then it was called a SAGE radar. <coughs> so while I was not there, I would have these strange dreams of things that happened or didn't happen or future events or future timelines. And we would have, uh, I'd have multiple timelines. And someone said, well, can you tell me the future? And I'd, I'd always have to say no. And it wasn't until I saw Men in Black 3 that it clicked as to why I was saying no. They had a little guy in Men in Black 3 that says, well, if this happens and this happens and we're on this timeline and we got to move here, or if this and this happens, then that's all toast, or if this and this happen, we got to do something else. So anyway... That's that's kind of what was going on. So I have all these memories. And one of the big things that they were looking for was something they called the King George scenario. And at the time, George Bush was head of the CIA. And we were looking for some reason uh, that we could have in the King George scenario where George Bush would be king of the United States of America or Emperor of North America. Those were a couple of the options that they were looking for. We were also doing some other sideline projects too. Um, so I was basically in the Twin Cities and I was monitoring all the things that they were doing on Montauk Island with the chair that was, they had there and the people that they put in the chair at that point in time. Uh, Montauk experiments happen on a 20-year cycle, so they ran the chair again in, in uh, 2003. Um, back in 63, uh, when they ran it then, they were w working with Timeline and... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, psych- psychic experiments. And the whole thing started with Project Rainbow in 1943. That that was the initial trigger for all of this. I'm expecting them to run it again in 2023. The things that we saw, like one of the things that happened is they 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 had um, I'm getting a little technical. They had Helmsworth coils, which are coils that you can vary their interaction on. They had an X, Y, and Z axis around the chair on Montauk Island. And what they would do is then they would pick up brainwaves coming off of a person who was sitting in the chair. And they would they would run the radar beam at him and jump it up and down to cause the same effects that I did. And they were actually timing the radar between the two of us when I was sitting in the chair that was here in the Twin Cities. And he um, was told to think of a wormhole one time. And so when they recreated it on the computer screen, uh, they were using an IBM uh, 360 computer and some Pascal imaging programs to uh, identify what he was thinking about, because if you could think of something really hard like a a chair or a water bottle or something like that, you could replay that and cause it to form an image that people could see. And one time they had a chair that that looked pretty real to them and someone reached out and grabbed it and pulled it out of the coils. So it's kind of like it created the chair out of nothing or energy. But anyway, he thought about a uh, wormhole And so along with taking people out of this timeline and putting them into another timeline and then seeing how it turned out, which was the main project that I was watching, they also had this wormhole thing. And with the wormhole, they they opened up a wormhole and they were able to travel to Mars, or that's what they said. And they found an underground base there. Um, The... uh, the walls of the base were kind of different. They weren't straight up and down like we think of walls today. They were kind of at a, at a wedge angle on each side. And the doors closed a little bit differently. But that, that was the base that they had there. And so they worked through all of that information. And, you know, it. they, they talk about... Uh, different things 
And one of the things that finally, and there were a number of other people besides me that were monitoring, and what we finally did is we created a um, minotaur. I had to think of the right term. Energy being to destroy some of the equipment and shut it down. But uh, that's really just a very brief introduction. Um, like I said, in the Air Force, it was I wasn't there very long, but I took the wrong person's hand and, and knew too much, and that's what got me into the, the Muntah project itself. So um, just all kinds of things that happened. And I've talked to some of you separately about it. And I could talk about another number of things because over the years, because what happened in the Air Force, what happened with the Montauk Project, I've had to do a lot of research. I thought I was totally nuts because, you know, that's all sci-fi. It's never happened before. Until recently I got 70% uh, disability from the Air Force because they found my records and they had a general with high enough clearance to look at them. And when I, the uh, person, the attorney handed me on the phone with, with her at the time and he opened the book. She asked if she, he had my file and I heard this big thump as he dropped it on the table and asked him to open the book and he, you know, Another thump as he opened the book. And he said, Montauk Project, yes, give him 70%. And the book closed. So until that time, I really didn't have, you know, am I imagining all this? Because it's, it's so crazy. It didn't make any sense at all that it could possibly have happened. And yet it was the experience that I had. And the experience in the, in the Air Force I can't talk about yet because it's not 50 years, and I don't see anything of it on the web. But the experience of the Montauk Project, it is out on the web. So, um, and that's in Montauk Island, New York. They still have a big base there. Uh, it's all underground. Uh, during the project, they were adopting uh, teenagers off the streets of New York, and they were taking them to the base, and they were uh, creating multiple personalities, causing a schizophrenic break in the kids that were there. And they'd compartmentalize their minds into different sections to be functional at certain times. And uh, they would uh, then take, take and use that tunnel or vortex that I was talking about and take them out of one timeline and putting them into another. So in order to understand that, you have to understand that we have a, a multi-dimensional holographic universe because that's what this is all predicated on. And normally at this point, I'd, I'd ask for questions because I can answer questions a lot easier than I can talking about it. And I know I haven't made the full 15 minutes yet. Uh, <laughs> and you know, and that's really yeah, not I bad because... If you feel like you're wrapping, um, if Mike started his 30, that would actually his 30 would put us almost like right back on track where we should be. So okay, that I don't want to cut great. you off, but if you feel like you're good, we can just jump right yeah, to Mike. Yeah, I'm good, then. and I'll answer questions later. Cool. 
So I get an hour and a half now, right? Yeah. You get, you get <laughs> two and a half. Actually, when we all go home, you can still be here talking if you'd like to. So. Anybody got a pillow on me? And so you I, do see the timers in front of you counting down the time? I don't know if you knew. Okay, so make sure. So I moved here from Michigan in uh, 1995. Everybody hear me okay? Moved here from Michigan in 95 in November. Um, about a year before that, I uh, <clears throat> was thinking about moving to Minnesota with work. And I had a friend that I worked with, and his family owned a dry cleaning business, and they rented out a room to a psychic. Thought that it would be interesting to go see her. I had been psychic my entire life, and I was thinking about moving here, and I went to go see the psychic lady. And the first thing she said is, you're thinking about making a job move, and you're very confused about what you want to do. And she said, you should do it. It'd be the best thing you ever did. She also said she, uh, she saw me on a vacation with a lot of water, and my sister and I had just come back from uh, Europe and Switzerland. There was a lot of water in Switzerland. Um, <clears throat> she told me that um, my uh, father and I had been in a past life together in 17th or 18th century Germany, and there was a lot of tension between, between my dad when I was a kid growing up. And um, at that point, I was always very interested in reincarnation. At that, my whole life, I had always considered doing hypnosis. So I went to go see a psychologist in Ann Arbor who did hypnosis. And um, I went in and I told her about the uh, things that the psychic had told me. And um, about my childhood, I was about three years old, and something scared the absolute hell, of, hell out of me, because it's my language. I remember seeing these uh, eyes staring at me, and I was so scared I couldn't move, I couldn't talk. Just these eyes just piercing me, and I was just so frozen with fear I couldn't move, couldn't talk. Uh, my mom had a miscarriage when I was about three, and I remember seeing a small child, and the small child did not look quite human to me, which is very traumatic for me at that time. And the uh, psychologist also recommended a, another psychic who was really good named Janet Lee. And I thought it was kind of strange that a psychologist would tell a patient about a psychic, that it wasn't part of her work as a therapist. He was just saying, if you want to see somebody who's really good, this lady's really good. So I went to go see her, and um, <clears throat> she told me that I had uh, three paths for my job move. She said, you could stay where you are. You might go somewhere west of here, or you might go somewhere we speak the language. And she says, you, might, you know German, don't you? And I said, yes. And I was thinking about working in Switzerland or Germany at that time. And, of course, west of here was... Uh With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Meaning Minneapolis. And she also told me that I would come here for a personal reason before I moved here. And I thought, why would I ever go to... Minnesota, I don't know, know anybody in Minnesota. So, uh, and she also told me that she, I saw in her wall that she did hypnosis and told me that she worked with abductees. I thought that was interesting. I didn't give much thought at the time. 
and also told me that she did a lot of past life regressions, which I thought was interesting. So I went back to the, um, and she also told me that my dad and I had been together in a uh, past life in 17th or 18th century Germany, which was what the other one had told me. So I was very interested at that point in being aggressive hypnotically and recalling, you know, past lives. So I went back to the psychologist and the psychic, they were just, just amazed at the stuff that she knew about me. Uh, she knew that I had come up from a lot of ups and downs in my life in 1987 which I felt like I discovered Jesus at that time. And um, I had to look up a lot of things that she had told me because she knew stuff about me that I didn't even know in terms of days when things had happened and so on. But anyway, well, I went back to the psychologist and um, I told her about things that the psychic had told me. Um, a lot of psychologists will tell you that a lot of people were molested as children, think they were abducted, and vice versa. I think I've been through both, but I won't talk about the details of the uh, the abuse. That's what we're here for, but I think I've been through both. But um, I, I went back to the psychologist. Um, I told her about uh, getting scared when I was a child, um, about my mother having a miscarriage, um, having a uh, brother that passed away um, right after birth. And I also felt like I was from somewhere else at that time. I remembered another lifetime at that point, and I felt like I was actually was from there and I wasn't from here. And I was always very confused as to why I was here. And as a child, between the ages of like three and five, I remembered this previous incarnation or lifetime and as I got to be older, the memories began to fade. But I knew that I had been somewhere else before, and I was always very confused as to both places could interact. I remembered being somewhere else before uh, where the laws of physics were different, and it didn't make any sense that I could be here with those laws of physics and be there too with those laws of physics. And this is a kid who's five years old thinking about laws of physics. So, um, I also have a learning disability. I had my IQ is 110. Um, in high school, I was the best player on the chess team. I was first to clarinet and band, uh, first chair sax and jazz band. And out of 253 students, I was number 252 in my class, believe it or not. And um, when I saw the second psychic, she told me that I had a left and right brain learning disability. And that I'm one of these people that I have uh, above average intelligence, but it's hard for me to just sort out information and, and put it back out, you know, verbally after I hear it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, you know, starting back with the main reason I saw the psychologist, um, I was interested in what had happened when I was a child, uh, what had scared me. I was wondering where I had been. Um, I had been psychic my entire life and felt that something had made me psychic at that age. And I also remember that when I had been somewhere before the laws of physics were different, I wasn't supposed to remember having been there. And I felt like I was taken somewhere by these higher ups. And But if I remembered where I had been, I would throw off some kind of balance of nature but wasn't supposed to remember. So um, 
at that point, um, I saw the psychologist for a few months. Um, I did um, get tested for my learning disability. Um, the second psychic told me when she worked with abductees that uh, she worked with a, um, some of you have heard of Dr. William Levengood, who's since passed away. She told me that she was working with him on some abduction cases in Michigan, and I should remember that name because um, someday that name would become important to me. Well, moving forward, um, I did have one dream that I was in a UFO, and uh, there was a man in the UFO, and he took a, a piece of silver, and he put it on me, if you know what I mean. It caused me to produce, if you know what I mean. And uh, it was like they were taking a, uh, a sample from me at that time. And I told my psychologist about it, and she asked me if I had ever thought if I had been abducted. And I kind of laughed and said, no. She said, well, you have suspicions about your father. But, um, and she told me about people that had seen her that had been abducted, and I could tell that she didn't want me to think that she would think I was crazy if I thought that, but at the time it never occurred to me. So moving forward, I've had a lot of synchronicity, and I'm going to be jumping on a little bit because it's hard for me to remember everything that happened in the order that it happened. But I've had a lot of synchronicity. Um, she told me when I moved to Minnesota, I would meet people like myself, and I've met a lot of people like myself, um, just outside of MUFON, people that are a little more metaphysical and spiritual. Um, when she told me that I would come to Minnesota for a personal reason, I did wind up coming here um, for my mom's boyfriend's nephew's wedding. And I came up here to Chanhazen in the uh, spring of 1995. And mom and I, my mom and I uh, and her boyfriend were staying in somebody's house in Chicago, Illinois. And I was about to fall asleep, and my subconscious began talking to me, not literally, but I, but my mind opened up to me, and I was going to be able to see what scared me so bad when I was a kid. And I had the option to go through the whole experience, and I thought if I saw the whole experience, I would probably not wake up and remember it. I would have probably just been in eight hours of just absolute horror, and I didn't want to do that again. So I had to get in and get right back out. You probably know what I'm going to say. I was trying to buy about four or five alien-looking creatures. Uh, they had a very specific mash, uh, facial feature. They had mashed in cheekbones. And I have uh, seen pictures of aliens with mashed in cheekbones since other people have reported seeing them too. I went back and I told my psychologist about that uh, regression. And I had tried to regress with her a few times, and I wasn't very, success, very successful. And she told me that she suspect, suspected that I had been abducted herself. And on the first day I saw her, she suspected I had, had been, because a lot of people who have been abducted feel like they're from somewhere else, and they remember being taken away somewhere else. And to them, it's like another lifetime, but it's really a different dimension or a different planet. I uh, felt like I had been gone for about three months, and I think on Earth time I was, I recall this hypnotically, I think Earth time I was gone and came back instantaneously, and I wondered at the time why my parents didn't question why I was gone, thought they must not love me very much for me to be gone three months and never ask me where I was. And um, 
a lot of women, I'm sure you have heard, have had miscarriages, and they've had an abduction and a miscarriage. Well, my mom um, remembers the night when I was, you know, pretty normal one day, and I changed overnight. I freaked out. Um, I was so scared I couldn't talk, I couldn't move. And it was the same night that she had a miscarriage. My mom was, at the time, eight weeks pregnant, and she, uh, she miscarried. And that was the uh, same night that I remembered, you know, 30 years before, seeing a small child that did not look quite human to me. So I suspect there may have been something going on then with uh, miscarriage at that time. So then I kind of shifted my focus from um, being interested in reincarnation to being interested in UFOs. I started reading books about UFOs, and, and I was always interested in UFOs as a kid. I was almost obsessed as a child with UFOs. And I think now I know probably know why. When I was a kid, I would go to the uh, library at school. I would get books on, you know, kids would get books on wars and, and stuff they thought was cool. I would get books on UFOs and aliens and spacecraft just all the time as a little kid. But when I was about 13, I got my first camera. And I said, well, now if I see a UFO, I'll have a proof, proof that I actually saw it. And that's kind of a strange thing for a kid to see at 13. And I also remember when I had trouble in school saying to somebody, well, if you saw a UFO, you would never forget it. So I'm trying to grow up my school park the same way, too. And that's kind of a strange thing for somebody to say out of the blue at that age. So um, I did go back to the, see the psychic, um, Janet Lee. She's since passed away. Um, I have gone to see Dr. Levengood in Michigan a few times since I've been up here. Like I said, he's passed away. But uh, I've had a lot of synchronicity that she mentioned his name before I met him. Um, I've met a lot of people at work uh, right after I moved up here that were metaphysical and into, you know, certain things like this. And I never really had people like that in Michigan that I connect, could connect to like that in that sense. Is that? <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I think I put a lot of uh, two and two together uh, when I saw the psychologist. I do have one conscious memory of a UFO, and I was about seven or eight years old in, uh, near Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and I saw what looked like a stealth does right now. It was a big triangle-type shape. And I remember it was above the clouds, and this thing was huge, and I was thinking even at that age, this thing is appearing and disappearing above the clouds. It must be really big. And all of a sudden, this thing just whoosh, disappeared into a dot in the sky in a flash, and it was gone. And I think now that may have been something of ours, one of our craft we may have had back then that nobody knew about. But um, I came here from uh, Michigan in 95 and come to Mifflin ever since. Probably forgetting some things right now, but in a nutshell, that's it. So, so we got a microphone here. We're setting up for Q and A. I know you had some questions. Hopefully, some other people have some questions for our panelists. We'll do quick Q and A for a little bit, take our break, come back and see Bob's presentation, and then we'll do more Q and A. But uh, yeah, you're all are lucky that we even got more time because we had more time. I got Bigfoot stories to tell you. Let me tell you. You only use Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds, <laughs> I'm telling you. I've seen a lot of crazy things since I lived up well, in Hill City. Well, we're we're going to want it on to be recorded for the video. So I think, is this camera going to be pointing at that microphone? Is that correct? 
Questions at the microphone. At the microphone, please. My name is Paul Fleming. I live in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, I grew up in Connecticut, then moved to California in 59 when I was 12. Um, I've had so many experiences, uh, you wouldn't have enough time. <laughs> Where were you when I was looking for speakers? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, I've had so many run-ins with Bigfoot while I've been hunting. Oh, I'm not alone. Uh, right. I am a military man. I did two tours in Vietnam. Uh, My dad, too. Uh, yeah, 68 and 69. I was a sharpshooter. Uh, we won't get into that. Um, I've had so many experiences, especially with your kind, Mike. Uh, and for some reason, we I don't know why, but when you came over and sat down, I felt a connection. Um, I've had experiences since I was a child, and I always had a fear of clowns. Okay, is that freaky or what? Yes, it is. But I was abducted numerous times, and um, some I can remember everything, but some I, it's only spotty. The time that you had this experience with the UFO coming over, did you get a strange feeling at first? No, I, no, I can't say that I did. No, I, I can't say that I, I did it because I was just in, in extreme terror. So that's all I can pretty much remember is just nothing but extreme terror from the time leaving Hill City to home. So, yes, um, uh, well, uh, the. It was the last weekend in August of 1993. We got stuck on the Chattanooga freeway. And I'll make the story short. Uh, we ended up buying a new 1994 van, Dodge conversion van, beautiful. And uh, I had to be back to Duluth because uh, in Superior, I taught over there. And on Monday, I had to in service. So I said to my daughter, you're going to keep, uh, you're going to ride shotgun to keep me awake. We have to ride all night. 3.30 in the morning, the craft came down, and my daughter was just panic-stricken. She was 16 years old, um, up and down, and then all of a sudden, we got. I, I felt this strange feeling, and everything just, that was it. We woke up at 7.30, and I'm very, very um, obsessive and compulsive about my vehicles and all that. Uh, when I woke up, my daughter wasn't sitting next to me. My or my, my daughter wasn't, my wife was sitting next to me. And uh, we were off the parking lot up against um, a fence. We woke up by the mooing of Jersey cows. And um, I can remember the craft and everything, the inside of it, the whole thing. And uh, I've had, we've had, my father was abducted, my brother's been abducted. My grandfather was abducted. It just goes back and the lineage, and huh? Yeah, and uh, I just wonder if any of you. Well, you know, I will say right. when you said that that sound or that feeling, right. you know, right. I will say there was a point where I do remember something like that, and right. that was like I was telling you when we woke up basically in the living room, and I was paralyzed. That was the kind of feeling I had felt. This kind of weird. I don't know what you could describe it. It's hard to describe feeling in the air. Yes. That van, by the way, I sold it because three times I had that computer reconfigured. 
it would never work right and I sold it. High energy will fry out electronics. It ruined it ruined all the electronics and I and I paid twenty six thousand bucks for it. Yeah. Uh ninety four Dodge uh, Ram conversion van, beautiful, you know, um maple VCR monitor. And, uh, yeah, coming back, uh, we went out west with it. Coming up through the Rockies, I'm only doing 20 miles an hour. I said, that's it. I've had it with this thing. Yeah, my mom has no conscious recollection of anything. But if my story is true, then obviously she was a part of it. Yeah. Uh, my sister's in Ohio, and she's had ghosts in her house. And um, <clears throat> she was actually was told by a psychic that this was her son's first incarnation as a human. And that's why these spirits are attracted to him. Because all three of the boys have seen ghosts in the house. And it seemed to start with the youngest one. They, they were attracted to him initially. In 1963, my dad uh, grew up in Ansonia, Connecticut. He was an entertainer. He played the Keith Circuit up and down New York. Born uh, May 28, 1905. Um, he went to his 40th class reunion. He said, we're going to take the northern route. So we're going through Illinois, and eight miles before we got to this farm that I described, I described it to them. And we, when we got up there, there it was. And I've never been through Illinois in my life. And I remember my room. <laughs> and they looked at each other and went, what's going on? You know, it's, I've had so many experiences. It's just That's like you were saying, Mike. I didn't, I'm just going to say I didn't really tie in none of the psychic gifts, let's say, that we have had, that I've had ever since I was young, you know, but I never put those two and two together with anything to do I, with alien initially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know about the project. I'm a military man, too. I'm... Uh, yeah, it was interesting. I, I'd, I'd drive to the cities here. I'd go over to this building, which is no longer there, and I'd sit at the back of the parking lot because I always arrived early. And I'd watch a car come by, and it had three guys in it at a park out front. And one of those guys would be at the desk, and another guy would be uh, in the waiting area. And the third guy was somewhere else. And then a little bit later, the gal who was my therapist would come over. She'd park in the lot. And after she parked in the lot, then I'd get out in the car, and I'd go over there, and I'd enter like I never saw anything, you know. And uh, that was that part of it. And the other thing is they tr attempted to kill me three times. Uh, the first time was in Fargo in uh, Cardinals game and uh, baseball. And uh, the second time I had an appointment with a judge that was a friend. And Fargo has a black building, which for a long time was the biggest building around. It was a Sears building originally, and he had some offices up there. And uh, they had someone following me. And so, you know, it's a small town. You can pick that out right away. And I lost him on the way over, but they knew I had an appointment. So I followed him all the way over, and I parked off in the lot and watched them, um, watch the uh, military people. Uh, go in, and then a little bit later they had ambulances and stuff pull up, and, and they cleared everything out and went out, and I went in, and Judge Davies said, 
Boy, did you miss the excitement. The whole building was gas. They said it was a hydraulic leak in the elevator. We had people knocked out all over the place. I've got to, I've got to tell you one thing about my father. We, um, in 1953, we lived at 151 um, Walnut uh, Street Extension. My brother's got his uh, number one first-class license in electronics, and he was putting together an Emerson television. Uh-huh. And my dad looked at, at it. This is 1953. He said, one day they're going to be flat, big, and you can put them on the wall and they'll be in color. How did he know that? Because he saw that before. Yes. Somewhere. In, in, Somewhere. Uh, people all the time you get glimpses of the future, precognition um, type things. Aren't like, gee, I've been here before. You know, he said uh, one time to me, someone came to him uh, while he was in bed and said, do not worry, I'm not here to harm you. Yeah, um, I had I had been doing electronics all the time. Right. When I went into the Air Force, I wanted to go into avionics. But instead, they put me, they made me an oxymoron. They put me into military intelligence. Oh, my God. Uh, I've been to Cambodia, too. <laughs> we were there, folks. Yeah, I know we were there a long time before. Uh, I went in in 72, and I was out in 72. But like I said, I shook the wrong person's hand. I knew too much about space programs. So when they talk about, well, let's go into space and, and set up a program there, I just laugh at it because it's such old hat. They had something up there in the 50s. Right. Um, anyway, um, the final event when they tried to kill me, uh, the guy was an MP on leave, and uh, he ran in to our 65 Dodge Dart and took 18 inches off the I-beam. And that left me with severe uh, chronic pain and back issues. And left my family with other back issues from from the accident. But after that, they were like, okay, I'm done. Uh, The NSA came to me once and told me not to talk about some of the things. Um, Every couple of years, I get a new ex-NSA best friend. They they now come and introduce themselves. You say you have an implant? No, I don't say. Oh, no, no. You said you had something. Um, yeah, well, I would say um, I don't know exactly at this time. I, I have uh, pictures of it that we weren't able to get up on the, the thing. I've got one in my... Three little dots in a triangular formation, and they're three in, three eighths of an inch apart. So you can look it up yourself if you want on Google. It goes along with the abduction stuff, you know. So um, I didn't even know. Uh, the funny thing is, hey, who here knows three eighths of an inch measurement? Let me see who knows how far that is. It's very. If you remember your measurements, I totally forgot. And then I had to look it up, and it took me all night to finally figure out three eighths of an inch. Then when I did, I lined it up, and sure enough. Triangles three eighths of an inch apart. I taught math. I know how. To... <laughs> I know. I know. I'm, I just totally forgot what a ruler. All them little, you know, little things mean something. You know, <laughs> Those little I, increments. I graduated from Scholastica with a four point in seventy five, and uh, I was also in drama. And oh, the kids when I'd go in to take a test. I'd be out of there in no time flat. And yeah, I was a genius going into. They the threw me the one the one finger salute as I left. <laughs> 
Yeah, like you said, you got the car accident. I wonder if they got to me too, because I was literally a genius going into the military, and then after the military and all that stuff, I had me a wonderful car accident like ten years ago, and that was it for me. I'm telling you, it's a really bad one. And after the military, I could no longer do calculus in my head. Really? Yeah. Really? I still had some. Pro I could still do some statistics, which made my wife upset when she was doing a statistics course, but. Yeah. Uh, I, I used to no love to teach math. I, I used to no, love to teach math. I could no longer do calculus. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, which is re I thought was really strange. You know, why would I have one and not the other? Right. And uh, I can't count in my head now. I cannot count. I have to. Yeah. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Well, I know what you, mean. you know, I, I could get into a lot more on mind control and stuff that that's been done. Um, I've investigated that quite a bit. And I did a synopsis for one of the people here of, of what I knew about mind control and electronic mind control that, that's currently available and some of the things that, that go on with that. But, you know, uh, when you, when you, uh, you know, Google Earth, when you can look down, they have a certain level and, and then it goes to black and white and it doesn't get really dense, but... Uh, when I first looked at it, I, I looked down and I said, called up a friend and I said, yeah, that was really amazing. I could tell that what day it was because of the, on the grill on the deck, I could see the chicken was about ready to turn, so it was at this time on this day. And and the, the hamburgers were good and, and the steaks were good, about ready to turn too. And the next day, Google Earth no longer showed me. Um, wow. I, like I said, I get an ex-NSA uh, best friend constantly. Since the service, they have tapped our phones. Uh, I had a double-blind meeting with one of them. He arranged a double-blind meeting. I mean, who does that? Because uh, he didn't want them to know. And uh, he was wondering how I knew when they were tapping the phones. You know, there's an echo. Yes. There's an echo. Yes. And so he said, and what really amazed me is when we turned on the tape recorder, you knew that we turned on the tape recorder and you said so on the phone. <laughs> I did the same thing. I did. This. I said, I don't care if you're listening or not. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You get to a point where that's the case. But now, now it's at the point where when they want to be my best friend again, I usually... Ask them quick pro crow, so they've got to tell me something that's gone on in their background for me to respond. So, I have a relative that, well, they used to call it Area 51. It's no longer called that, but her name is Cindy. I can't tell your last name, but yeah. she works there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I find is really kind of funny is, you know, I, I literally have parents, okay, that don't believe a word that I'm saying, literally, okay? You know, they're very religious, and I don't know if that affects the belief structure of what I'm dealing with. I believe in God. It's his fan club I'm not keen on. Okay. Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> maybe that's it. Yeah, but, I mean, they, you know, it's been kind of a hard thing dealing with my, my mom and dad because, of course, I live with them now, and they're just like, as soon as I mention this stuff, they put their head, like, right deep in the sand, you know. They really don't want to hear it, but it's like, uh, you know, I wanted to have them here today, of course, too. But, you know, being that they don't, 
it's such a conflict for them that they just don't want to be here, you know. The last experience I had was uh, five years ago. I'm uh, sitting in bed, sitting up, and three grays said to me, we're done with you for now. And they went right through the wall. So I'm not crazy with the whole UFO going through the glass window in my bedroom. Then. Yeah. And actually, can we get, before we take a break, can we get one more question? Oh, you had a question. Did you want to take a question? You're sure? Positive? Anybody else? Thank one you. more question before we take a break? Can I say one oh, more Oh, here thing? comes a question. Yep. Yep. Um, I have a friend who's a good friend who's an ex-Benedictine monk. And uh, he had to, when he was going through training, he had to explain uh, Charles Steinmetz's uh, four lectures on space-time and relativity. But I asked him about aliens. And he said, oh, you wouldn't believe the alien bodies we've seen, skeletons we've seen in the Vatican vaults. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Talk about your conflict there, too, huh? Yeah. Is there another? Did I see a question standing up over here? No, question in the back? Well, you know where the microphone is. You know this job better than anybody else in the room almost, <laughs> so get, get up there. Okay, let's go back to the Philadelphia experiment or Project Rainbow. Weren't those two connected? Yes. And when that happened, was there, do you know, maybe it never happened, but was there a break in the space-time continuum and there was supposed to be a, a rent in the, whatever you want to call it to bring in some Okay, it rains Entities? every 20 years. Okay. So it's, it's like a sine wave that happens every 20 years, a, a point where it's a little bit thinner, uh, shall we say, or it's easier to do things. The uh, Philadelphia experiment, they had people locked in the decks of the ship and stuff like that. Um, the original thing... Um, there was a book called uh, Magnetism, the Education of a Physicist. And it was later changed and reissued to Magnetics, the Education with the Physicist. And the key story that was the start of uh, the Philadelphia experiment was missing from there. And the key story, they had a stage magician that used electricity to make a model ship disappear. And that's how the Philadelphia experiment started. And when they saw that, they asked him why he didn't use that to make people disappear. And he said, because it's too hard on people. It causes all <laughs> kinds of problems. And that's why Tesla bought out of the project, because it caused too many problems for people. And, uh, yeah, that, that, the Philadelphia experiment was what started it. Okay. And they had people on the um, fourth floor of the VA that would turn off the frequency generator belt that they had on, see something outside the wall, get the strange far-off look on their face, walk right through the wall and disappear. Anything else? That's it. Okay. Did some people in the uh, foot experiment is it really wound up with like limbs stuck in steel and yeah that was pro that was Project Rainbow yeah they wound up dying the then they died yeah yeah in the middle of the ocean they no sold. they they sold the ship uh, I think it was in Greece last I heard oh they scrapped it yeah uh, it was built uh, 
heavier than than most of them. Uh, it was one of those uh, quick concrete, reinforced concrete ships. But uh, the Montauk project was a continuation on that, and they had they had done a and what they're actually doing with Philadelphia experiment is they reduced the dimensions of space-time with the electromagnetic fields. And that would be uh, something you'd read about, uh, actual, the actual math for unified field theory, uh, and the actual math for doing that is in uh, Charles Steinmetz's book that I mentioned earlier, Four Lectures on Space-Time and Relativity. Any other questions before we take a break? Um, I don't know if you've had an experience like this. Uh, my friend and I, when we were in high school, Pacific High School, uh, we drove up to the Orange Groves. It was a brand-new driveway, um, new curbs. We drove in a brand-new Victorian house. We went through that whole house. N nobody lived there. A week later, we went back. The driveway was crumbled up. We drove in. The house was same house. All the windows were broken. All the paint was off. It's like it was like about 110 years old. I know we went back through some kind of a time warp or whatever, a wormhole or whatever. And uh, <laughs> both my witnesses are dead, Travis Williams and uh, Mike. What Stump. year was that? That was 1966. But we went, drove up, and it was a brand new Victorian home. We went through that whole beautiful, beautiful. There are Abnormality, space-time abnormalities that open up all over the place. Uh, Eric Dollard, in his videos, was hired by the Navy and RCA to investigate all of the basics of electronics and electricity. He's got a series of uh, YouTube videos that you might be interested in seeing. I just wondered if you have ever experienced something like that. Not quite like that, no. Okay. But I've experienced traveling... A fair distance. And Me too. Being just a short period of time. Me too. After I saw the uh, second sidekick, my abilities really began to improve back then. And I've actually done a few readings for people here. Bill was one of them. Remember that, Bill, years ago? Bill, remember that? And um, <clears throat> actually, I saved my sister from a rapist a few years ago, too. I called her up and told her something, and it came true, and she did what I said. You but had... Have you had feelings lately about something I have? I'm talking about not too, not too distant future. I started crying. Mm -hmm. But um, I've done a few readings for people here, and um, I've hit, the, hit around the nail both times. When Craig was with us, he uh, even testified to some of the stuff I came up with, things I knew about people there's no way I could have known. I had a, um, I'll make this real quick, I had my hairstylist years ago had 20 grand stolen out of her house. And um, I was able to come up with the, the name of the um, woman that did it. They thought it was their neighbors. And um, I described them both to a teen, came up with the name of the female. But I had a vision, this is kind of like remote viewing. I had a vision of a cream-colored van outside their house, which made no sense to me. But it turns out that when her husband went home to investigate the, the break-in, he saw a cream-colored van across the street. So I mean, I could, I've had stories like that my whole life. 
it's like a muscle. If you use it, you get better at it. If you don't use it, you get rusty. It's like going to the gym. That's never happened to me. Joe said you can burn it out. Okay, well, let's give our, uh, our panel a round of applause. Like I said, we're going to take a break. Break's going to be about 10 to 15 minutes right in that area somewhere. We'll come back. We'll have Bob Schultz doing his presentation on telepathy and crop circles. Then we'll bring the entire panel, including Bob, back up for more Q&A. So uh, enjoy your break. we got food and stuff over there. Restrooms are out in the hallway. Um, I'll let you know when we're coming back. Thank you. See you in a bit. Well, good afternoon and welcome back and thank you for sticking with us and uh, welcome back to our second half of our presentation today. Our next speaker is Mr. Bob Schultz. Bob Schultz is a longtime MUFON member and he's also a longtime ufologist uh, and he's been a big contributor to public television. And he's personally responsible for literally in excess of hundreds of hours of UFO programming being put on public television to educate the public. And today he's going to be giving you a presentation on uh, crop circles by telepathy. So please help me welcome Mr. Bob Schultz. Thank you. Okay, my presentation today is about telepathic communications with ETs in relation to crop circles. So I'm going to start out in 1993, on May 9th, Dr. Stephen Gurr came to town and he had a presentation at the World Theater in St. Paul. It's now called the Fitzgerald Theater. So that's kind of what got me started on, on the crop circles. Uh, Friday night was, uh, I don't know, maybe $10 or something and you, and you got to hear Dr. Stephen Gurr make his presentation. But then Saturday and Sunday, you, you had to pay something like $100. You could go to a workshop. Of course, I sprung for the $100. And there were maybe 100 people at the theater, but there were only about eight of us that paid our money to have our Saturday, Saturday night session out in a park near Zimmerman and, the, and Sunday at the <laughs> workshop at the Cedar Riverside Cultural, Cultural Center. Um, so I was so enamored with that, and I was planning a trip to, uh, to Europe about the same time, on May 23rd of 1993. And of course, I heard about all those crop circles in the Wilshire area in the UK. So I was wondering, how could I uh, break away from Rick Steves' Europe in 21 Days, the trip I was going to be on? And I figured that out. And uh, so I started out on Rick Steves' tour, and a day later I took off by myself from Holland to the UK. I took an overnight uh, ferry, slept on the deck and everything with my sleeping bag, and made it to Dr. Stevens Greer's rec uh, workshop in Alton Barnes, UK. Well, we, we, ha uh, we had the same workshop or a similar workshop that Saturday and Sunday, but everybody was from the UK. It was really fun to be there. Now, Stephen Greer decided he's going to have us all meditate 
on a particular crop circle and see if we can get the ETs or whoever, we don't really know who are, who are drawing these crop circles, but see if we can get two-way communication with them. So this is the pattern we all meditated on. It became the symbol for CSETI, which stands for Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Okay, <laughs> okay. And then we went and sat on top of a, a hill that night and meditated that until probably 1 a.m. in the morning. And the next day was uh, work, more workshop. But during the workshop that day on Sunday, a farmer came in and he said, Hey, I got a crop circle in my uh, field. I just thought you guys would like to know about it. There it is. We didn't see it that night. It was typical uh, drizzly night in, in the UK. And you couldn't see the valley below. But the next day, there it was, just what we had meditated on. So to me, that proved a, a, a two-way communications there. We visualized that pattern, and sure enough, they came back and put it there. <clears throat> I'm going to go back a little bit in time now to 1965. Some of you saw my presentation, Blackout 1965, uh, that I gave here about a year ago. Um, at that time, I feel that there's a lot of evidence that I was abducted. I, I can't say I was aboard the ship. I can't say, like you, some of you, that, that I remember being aboard a ship. But there was a lot of evidence. And if you want to go back and look at that video, it's on our YouTube channel, and you could review it. So I think that's kind of what started me and got my brain tuned into this. Then, in 1985... Um, Control Data, who I worked for, had some money problems, and they gave us all a one-week break without pay. And so a friend of mine who worked at Control Data, he and I decided to, we're going to take a trip to Montreal. And so we hopped in our Mooney, uh, took the bicycles along with us in the back seat, and flew to, Mon Mo uh, to uh, Montreal. And during that trip, we rode around Montreal, and we went to a, a basilica that's called the Notre Dame Basilica. And I took this picture, well, I didn't take this picture, I got it off the internet, but I took pictures with my 8mm movie camera. And later when I got home, there was one of these uh, full-size statues up here that was moving. I mean, I could see that he was moving around and smiling at me and and moved his hand up a little bit and kind of tilted his head. I thought, whoa. You know, I had panned across here and, and, and got all these images, but one of them's moving. Well, that turned out to be, I found uh, out his name was Melchizedek. Any, anybody familiar with that name? Oh, about four of you. Okay. Well, I think he's the guy that's kind of communicating with me because he keeps coming up over and over again. 
Um, <coughs> so uh, the next thing is 1994. Uh, I'm back home now, and I'm saying, okay, um, we we did the the C-SETI thing, but I would like to see some crop circles around here in in Minnesota. So what I did is I just uh, spent some time meditating at like 6 a.m. in the morning when you're half awake, and, you, and I'm saying to the, hey, you guys, uh, I really appreciate, you know, all those crop circles in, in, the, in, in England, but could you put a few in, uh, around the Twin Cities here someplace so that I could go out and investigate them? And I did that for about two weeks. I just, every morning, kept saying the same thing over again. Whoever's doing this, you know, help me out here. Well, then on a Friday night, I saw in the news, on all three channels, they sent, uh, all these uh, news channels sent helicopters up to photograph this crop circle in Malacca. Now, it's a little hard to see there. It's pretty small, but I blew it up in the back here. It's three circles, um, two in a counterclockwise direction. Uh, the current stocks are laid down counterclockwise and, and the other clockwise. So that was on a Friday night, naturally. Saturday morning, I'm off to, the, to Malacca. And I go up there and I talk to the farmer whose this crop circle was drawn in this field. And he was very open. Uh, he, he didn't have any, you know, a lot of times people come in and trample down your field. Well, this is corn. It's a little hard to trample down. But anyway, he was very open about this investigation. And so I spent maybe the next three weekends coming up there and talking to him. The, the, the way they discovered this is that his son is a pilot, a private pilot, and was flying over the field a couple days after this was drawn, this uh, crop was laid down. <clears throat> so that was my first uh, investigation of crop circle, but it got me introduced to Nancy Talbot. Anybody, how many people know Nancy Talbot? Oh, a few people. She is the head of the um, United States Crop Circle Investigation Team. She, she lives uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And when I went up to investigate this crop circle in Malacca, um, I can't remember how either I called her or she called me because I didn't know how to collect all the samples at that time. And you had to sp spend a lot of time collecting these samples of the corn stalks in and out of the, of the formation. You want control samples. And then you had to bring them home and, and hang them in your uh, garage and dry them. And, and then send them off to Dr. Levengood and have him analyze them. So it was a lot of work. And I had to draw engineering drawings of, of the circles and how far away they were from the road and the exact size and where I collected every one of the, I think, 30 or 40 samples. So Nancy and I became very good friends. And, and then another crop circle happened. And this was really not a crop circle. The first one in Malacca was on, in 1994 on October 7th. 
This is October 24th, and you can't really see it in this picture, but there's a little circle right here, and this is what it looks like blowing up. Maybe you can see that better. It's just one circle. And I said it really isn't a crop circle formation because when we analyzed it and we sent the information to Dr. Levengood, it was a flying saucer landing site. And the people who own this field, um, Leslie and Albert, um, their daughter, Jody, had been abducted all her life. And so we found evidence that this saucer actually landed there, and I'm not going to get into that in this presentation. You can actually read about all these crop circles on the Minnesota MUFON website. The full reports are there if you want to investigate them further. So that, that one uh, I didn't ask for, but the Malacca one I did. Um, and it wasn't a crop circle again. But then I said, okay, I'm ready for another one. In 1996, we had a crop circle in Pease, Minnesota, P-E-A-S-E. There's a just, it's just a single circle, and uh, some of you remember Casey Holt, uh, used to be a member here at MUFON. He passed away quite a few years ago now, but he is standing there in, in that crop circle formation flying a kite, and he, he's a great inventor, and he uh, put a camera, hung a camera from a kite, and ran two wires up to it and could click the shutter and take this picture. So that's how this aerial picture was taken. The other two that I showed you was when I was flying my Cessna 172. So we took them from the air. Okay, let's see where I am on my... Okay, in 1997, I decided to go back to Europe again and look at crop circles again. This time, I wasn't going to be on a Rick Steves tour. I was going to do it myself. So we spent um, three weeks in, uh, in Europe, mostly in France, but in, the, in, the, um, in England, too. Uh, this is, if you want to come up and see it afterwards, this is uh, where we went in France and England. And during that trip, uh, I asked a friend who used to come to our meetings here, Jean Ice, to come with me. And so she's about 14 years older than I am. She's still alive and kicking today. I talked to her a couple days ago. She's now 94. <laughs> but uh, anyway, she and I really wanted to see all these unusual enigmatic sites in France and England. So we had a very much interest in common. Well, we wanted to go to the crop circle sites again, but we didn't know how to find a crop circle. So um, quite a few of you remember Joe Donovic, right? Raise your hands. Joe Donovic, yes, okay. He, he came to our meetings here many years, and he was very much interested in the subject. But he passed away a few years ago, too. However, he has a son, Wayne. Wayne lives in, in the Wilshire area in England, he and his wife and two kids. So Joe says, well, you've got to contact my son, and he'll drive you around and 
you can go see the crap circles. Oh, great. So we met up with Wayne. Uh, he even uh, made a reservation for us in a local hotel. It was very quaint. And then, uh, then we had to decide, well, how are we going to find these crap circles? Well, Joe sent an email to me and said there's two crop circles, one in Morstead and another one in Devices. But he said they won't tell where they are. The farmers don't want you to go in there and trample down their, their wheat. So I don't know how you're going to find them, but that's the towns that are nearby. So... Wayne and his wife are driving in the car, and Gene and I are in the back seat. He, he thinks that we've got a map that we're looking at that is going to guide us to these crop circles. But we didn't have a map. We knew he could get us to the town. He knew where the towns were. But we didn't have a map of where the crop circle was. Again, you're, you're going to have to come up and look at this later, but this is Morstead up here. And down here is where the crop circle is, about four miles outside of Morstead. So we get to Morstead, and coming into my brain, and I don't know how this happens, I just received a message that said, bear left at the next turn. And I told Wayne that. And I said, yeah, just keep going, just bear left in that road. Don't go straight, bear left. And so we start heading out of town. And Wayne says, well, how far do I have to go? And I said, I, I, I'm not really sure. Um, but just keep going. Oh, um, you're going to find that there's a big forest or a woods on the left side of the road as we go up a hill. And right after we pass that woods and come down the hill, the crop circle is going to be on our left. Those words came out of my mouth. I don't know where they came from. But that's what I told Wayne. And sure enough, you can, you can even see it on Google Earth here, this big woods. And right after that, there was the crop circle. And this is what it looked like. So there was that communication again, um, asking for crop circles, you know, back in Minneapolis. And now I'm over in England, and I'm getting communication of where where they are. <laughs> and Gene and I were just amazed. <laughs> we were looking at each other and Wayne, he, he isn't into UFOs at all. He, d he didn't even ever know that we didn't have a map. He, th he thought we, we had directions from his father that told us how to get there. But we didn't. So there was two that we had to see. One was in, near Morstead, but another one in Devices. Well, Morstead is a very small town. I mean, it only has about 10 houses. But Devices is much larger, probably 10,000 people there. I was a little bit worried that we might not be able to find that crop circle. Uh, again, I have a map if you want to come up and see it afterwards. Um, we got to Devices, and I told Wayne, I said, uh, head, head north out of the town on the main road. I've never been there before. I don't know where it's going. Just head north. Okay, so we're heading north, maybe went about a mile. And then another message came into my head. It said, bear left on the gravel road ahead. Wow. 
Where'd that come from? Well, there was the gravel road. It came right after that message. And it's starting to rain out a little bit. And this gravel road had potholes. And so Wayne, he's driving about 10 miles an hour, and he's saying, how far do we have to go on this road? I don't want to go very far. You couldn't see the size of the potholes because the rain had filled up the potholes, and some were pretty big, and he was bouncing around. And I, again, didn't get any message. It said how far, but I said, we're going to go to the end of the road, and there's going to be a little parking lot there, and we have to get out and walk about 100 yards along a ridge to the left and look down in the valley below and we'll see the crop circle. Again, where did that come from? I don't know. But as we're driving along on that road, Wayne said, I am not going any further. I'm going to turn around. Oh, I hope you don't. He says, I just don't think we're going to find it. Just then, a lady on horseback comes you know, towards us on horseback on this road. And Wayne, he waves out of the window and flags her down. And he says, ma'am, uh, do you know about a, a crop circle someplace in this area? And she said the same words as I said. Yeah, you just go to the end of the road. You park there and you walk along the ridge about 100 yards and you'll see it in the valley below. The same words that I had just uttered, you know, 10 minutes before. She said the same thing. So that convinced Wayne, okay, we're going to go to the end of the road. So we did. And this is what we saw below in the valley below. So, you know, telecommunications uh, or com this uh, telepathic communications, uh, I really believe in after this. Um, so um, I got back home and I didn't want any more crop circles because it just took too much time. This is back in 97 now, 1997. And I said, okay, guys, I really appreciate it, but I'm often doing other things. Well, in uh, 2004, Dean DeHartport comes to me. And he says, hey, you know, you, you were lucky and got to investigate all the, those crop circles in Malacca and peas and... And actually, there was another one, and I didn't get to it, in uh, Hamill, Minnesota. Uh, it looked like this, and you, you could see it from Highway 55. <clears throat> and he said he wanted to investigate a crop circle himself. And I said, well, Dean, all you got to do is ask, and they'll put one there for you. What do you mean? I said, just meditate in the morning uh, when you're waking up and ask who's ever drawing those crop circles to put one out there for you that you would like to investigate one. And he and Margaret, his wife, did that for about a week. And I got a call from Nancy Talbot. And Nancy Talbot said, Bob, you're going to have a crop circle about a week from now in the Minneapolis area. And I said, we're going to have? Yeah. And... I said, how do you know that? She said, don't ask questions, Bob. You know, you just know it's going to happen. Oh, okay. So another week went by, and Nancy this time called me up again. This is two weeks after I told Dean to start asking. And she says, 
There's a crop circle in Washington County. Go out and tell Dean to go investigate it. I said, well, we're about in Washington County. And she said, well, you know, you're, you're an engineer. You just go to the, go to the locals, uh, county uh, offices, and they, they should have a newspaper there that they publish weekly. It'll probably be in the paper. So I told Dean that. I didn't want to investigate this crop circle. I had enough of them. I told Dean. So Dean went the next day. It was a Wednesday, I think, and went into the newspaper offices, and they were just rolling off the press, and here was this picture on the front page in color of this crop circle. Right on the front page of that newspaper, there was uh, seven, seven circles here, and you can come up and see it later here. So Dean got his crop circle. Dean and Margaret went out and investigated. Nancy told them how to collect all the samples and everything and, and send everything in to Dr. Levitgood. And Dean said, you're right. It takes a lot of work to do this. So I think that's the, yep, that's the end of my presentation. Thank you. Yep, could give Bob a big round of applause. And if I could have Kenny, Joe, and Mike come on back up and join the panel, please. Oh, nope, nope, yep. All right. Yeah, I was just curious. Now, I don't know if it's in the back of my head and I just blew it off, but did not Trump come out just like in the earlier part of his presidency and say that this whole alien thing is true, too? Uh, I am not an expert on our current uh, president, so I can't see Anybody out there? Else. Anybody? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Now it's going to get deep in here, boy. Yeah. Okay. So questions for our panelists. Our microphone is set up, so go on ahead and head on over to the microphone. And oh, have, Mike's got a, a question. I have a comment. Mike has a comment. Um, yeah, Bob and I both mentioned Dr. Levengood that I was told him, told about him by a psych that I saw. Um, he did a lot of stuff with crop circles, but what he actually did is the structures, getting dry mouth here again, the uh, structures of the molecules in crop circles are different than they are with normal grass, and that's due to radiation. Yeah, they've been altered, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he had a way there of um, separating between the hoaxes and the real ones yep. by the... Uh, Structures of the changes yeah. and that, so that's interesting. Yeah, and it's not just uh, not just the radiation or in the structure, but it seemed like growth was sped up in those situations Correct. too. Yep. And if you're familiar with the Travis Walton story, even as things come out more and more about that, when they look at the trees that are around the area where the craft was, um, the trees, the sides of the trees that were facing the craft, seem to be growing faster and larger than the sides of the trees that are away from the craft. So whatever radiation was coming off that craft affected the trees in different areas, so they weren't even growing uniformly throughout the, throughout the individual trees. So that's kind of interesting. So you can't just fake that. I see Steve here waving. I don't know if he's waving at us or if he's doing a different cue. Are you waving for us or no? Nope? Okay. I thought maybe you had another question. But our microphone is open there, ready for questions. I also um, just want to let you know, I just on my phone just found the, the triangular, wonderful tattoo that they gave me on my phone. So if anybody wants to see that, um, you can come up here and we'll check it out. I, I can show you it. There's a before and after I want you to know when you come up here. The first picture will show you the literally where the, it had just happened. It has scabs on it. 
And the second picture that I took was only an hour later, and the scabs had fallen off, and it was like it never happened. So it kind of had that quick healing thing. Yeah, what I was curious about that was you said Bob's uh, crop circle is just like it. Does your tattoo also have the connecting lines? No, like no, not about? the oh, connecting so lines. Just yep, the three just the three dots, dots in that triangular formation. Yeah. Lines, but okay. Yeah. Cool. Mentioned the um, plants growing further. Yes. Um, I took a year off to study uh, the possibility of drawing power out of the air. Mm. And I found that the natural resonant frequency was 375 kHz. Now, I know that doesn't mean a whole lot to most people. Uh, it's also the frequency that kills staff and strep. Mm. But... What I had done is I had strung this antenna up at our house in Moorhead, and they'd come by and trim the neighbor's trees at our um, fence line, which was about six foot away. And toward the end of the summer, um, the thing stopped producing power. Hmm. And I couldn't figure out why, because it had been doing it all summer long. And I went out there, and the trees had grown that six foot to short out the wire. And what we found that the same frequency helps make crops grow faster. We did it on a field in Detroit Lakes. Uh, a soil microbiologist had balanced his soil chemically for the 375 kHz, and uh, we put some towers up um, the end of May. And on the 1st of July, I got a phone call that I had to come out and help from harvest. And I said, you know, Jim, I'll, I'll be out there. August, September, no problem. No, he said, you've got to come out now. I'm going, Jim, they're not going to be ready until August or September. No, you've got to come out now. And you ruined my cash crop. And I said, well, what was your cash crop? And he said, it was uh, Indian corn. You know, they're supposed to be about six inches long. Well, the Indian corn was 18 inches long and about uh, 4 inches in diameter at the base. His 6-inch carrots were the same size as the, that. He had basketball iceberg lettuce and cabbage, and he had peas and tomatoes coming out of his ears. And so, you know, if they say there's a food shortage, yeah, this is one thing that can help it. And what we saw is all the insect pests that were in the field rise up and disappear when we put them in. Hmm. There's little nodal points that we acupunctured with, 10-foot uh, sections of three-quarter inch copper pipe. Mm -hmm. So, so they, they cut back. So they cut back the trees, and it affected the antenna. Is that what it was? When they cut back the trees, the antenna was. Uh, still resonating at 375, and the tree grew back that six foot mm. from the beginning of summer until fall. Gotcha. And ash trees don't go, grow that fast. More accelerated growth. Yeah. Yep. And that's what we saw in the crop field. Uh, we had, when we tried it down here in the cities, I've got a black thumb, really. Uh, nothing really grows. Uh, we had... Um, and neighbor kids wanted to plant some sunflower seeds, and their dad got them some uh, confectionery sunflower seeds, which are supposed to be about six foot tall. Well, they ended up 12 to 14 foot tall with 12 to 18 foot heads instead of normal six inch heads. 
12 to 18 foot heads? No, inches. Inch heads. Okay, I thought you said foot. I was like, that's an incredibly huge head. Okay, oh, that makes sense. The, the, the stocks that's were the stocks were really tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah, there, there's things like that. So, maybe it wasn't just normal radiation. Maybe it was at a specific frequency. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so they when they had that really large like iceberg lettuce and that all those. So there was no radiation effects in it at all. Well, what what we were doing is the the chemical composition of the soil was balanced to 375. Yep. The atmosphere is at 375. And so the acupuncture towers were sending that field evenly throughout, throughout this crop area, growing area. And so everything just grew. It was all, yeah. there was all healthy, edible stuff, yeah. not dangerous to eat. Gotcha. No, it was, it was great. I mean, okay. uh, I've got friends that still want me to try and grow radishes again. Uh, my wife likes little radishes. And they were about the size of beets when we harvest them. So, and they tasted very good. And they want those again because they tasted better than most of them they get. Right, right. So, so if you're talking about big crop growth, that could be another thing. They were running a specific frequency in the fields. And that's the 375 is the earth and the atmosphere together. The atmosphere is 50 kHz. And the earth itself is 7.5. He's just making me think, though, like, you know, I've always pondered ever since the, the, all the UFO stuff that happened in my life, you know. It was weird because ever since then, I never ran into a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch or a Thunderbird or any of them kind of things. But I swear, they came out of the woodwork ever since I had my UFO activity. Yeah. So that's a normal thing then, huh? Okay. So. Okay. They seem to... There seems to be a lot of overlap with different paranormal things. Once you get exposed or uh, experience one, um, you seem to be more open or experience yeah, other. Yeah. I don't know if it's an awareness thing or a vibrational thing that you're open to different frequencies and that, but it does seem to be very common because you'll hear a lot of people say, oh, well, that person, could, they, they see UFOs. Yeah, but they see ghosts too. And they see all the, they're just crazy. Well, are they just crazy or is there something different happening there that, that people are just dismissing because it doesn't happen to them or, or they're not familiar with it or science hasn't explained it yet? Um, I get yeah. the people that say, well, science doesn't say this. So science says that. Well, science hasn't figured everything out yet. No. So, you know, I don't go by that, you know. So. Yeah. It's just the weirdest thing because it really did open me up to all these other things and ghosts too. So. Yeah. It's not like uh, it's been just one thing. It's been just like, I mean, you'll see me if you want to look it up, too. It's not that I'm a guy for popularity and I want to be up here for popularity, okay? But I, it's just been my luck, like, ever since that I've been on Finding Bigfoot. I've been on the show Finding Bigfoot, so you can look that up. It was uh, February 27th or something like that up at Swatera, Minnesota. Uh, oh, no, Reamer, Minnesota. Sorry, let me get it right. Reamer, Minnesota. And, you know, I just, my luck, I had run into him and... You know his family, so. Yeah, I mean, you'll hear people again, not to go off on ghosts or anything, but you'll hear people talking about sightings of ghosts. They're waking up, they're very sleepy, they're very groggy and drowsy, and they're seeing a ghost, and then they decide, I need to focus. As soon as they focus in, yeah. and that grogginess is gone, and they're now very clear and sharp focused. They don't see what was there no. before, and is it really not there, or are they just not looking in that frequency in that range? So, and also where you hear some people say, "Oh, it's right there. I can see it. Why can't you see it?" And are they tuned into something different? You know. So. Yeah, um, like when they did the sleep study on me, I complained about the bright light they had shining on me all night, making it hard to sleep. 
and they couldn't figure out what that was. Because there was no light on you for, from their perspective? Well, there was an infrared light on me. Oh, gotcha, oh. gotcha, okay. And I could see the infrared light just, it was like a spotlight. Gotcha. And yep. so, you know, I'm colorblind to red and green, but yeah. maybe I'm not the infrared, infrared type of thing. Could be. Yeah, because they don't test for that. So. No, yeah, I don't. <laughs> Looks like Mike has a comment, or am I misreading you? It's just interesting that you talked about people may see uh, something abnormal and see more stuff. It's interesting for me to talk to people. You bring up the topic of the stuff to people. How many people have a story? Um, I had a coworker that saw a big UFO in a field once coming home from school. I had another coworker that was abducted. Um, I was at my cousin's wedding years ago, a male cousin, and um, I was talking with his sister, who's my cousin, of course. We were just talking about stuff and found out that her husband and his son had been abducted. And you would never discuss that at a family wedding normally, but if you just throw out the topic or just like I've even had like um, I've had some Internet dates and uh, blind dates and I want to talk about UFOs, but I'll say do you like the History Channel? And she'll say, yeah. Do you like these UFO shows? Oh, I love those UFO shows. But uh, a lot of people have um, have a story about a ghost or uh, saying a UFO or even something full-fledged. Yep. And it's funny, too, a lot of times the researchers themselves will discredit the other areas, like, you know, you, like Bigfoot and UFO researchers. They, they don't want to... Each subject, each group doesn't want to talk about the other yeah, one. The yeah. UFO people really discredit the Bigfoot. Bigfoot people kind of discredit the UFOs, and there's no connection except for the cases where you happen to see them both either happening at the same time or very close together or, and stuff like that. Now, let me also say, because I, you know, I, we don't like to bring in a lot of the show stuff that you guys see on TV, right? You know what I mean? We like to deal more in a factual basis as, as much as we can. Um, but, no, um, the funny thing about the whole Bigfoot thing that I'm thinking is, is on one of the Bigfoot shows, uh, they actually had a theory that they thought that, I don't know if the Bigfoot genius species itself is from another planet, um, because people, I guess, have witnesses to Bigfoots, have seen them with a helmet on their head of that literally looked like something out of I Dream a Genie, and it literally could call down, they can call down a UFO whenever they wanted kind of thing to pick them up. So that's yeah. one thing that I've heard out there. I've heard that they, um, scientists say they look like Australopithecus did many yeah. years ago. Right. Which makes me wonder if anybody here believes in the, uh, I can never see this word, the Anunnaki. Oh, Anunnaki. Anunnaki. If, they, if, if that story is true, maybe then that they took themselves and Australopithecus then and made, not to sound sacrilegious, if anybody's offended, but um, if, you know, if what they took between themselves and Australopithecus and made us, maybe that's why Bigfoot sightings, scientists say it looks like Australopithecus. Looks like Bob has a comment. We're talking about, we're talking about ETs here. How many people have seen or read the Urantia book? Uh, very few. Um, this is a very interesting book because it was written by 20 ETs in, in 1955. And it came out in 1905, and the Library of Congress designated it as adult nonfiction. 
Oh, written by nonfiction. Nonfiction. Let's get that out there. Nonfiction by our and government. I found it in the Moundsview Library here, about five books to the right of the Bible. That's where it was. On oh. What is the title? The Rancha Book. Okay, gotcha. And your Rancha is the ET's name hey, write that for down. Earth. So it's really the Earth Book, and it's it's. Very long, 2,000 pages like a Bible, okay? Very Not as thick. Very thick. Okay. Well, I was thinking that, you know, it's, it's a shame Big Mike isn't, isn't here. Yep, yep. Mike would have talked about UFOs and Bigfoot connections. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And so what does is, what is the Urantia book address? Well, it's... I'm speed reading you right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> See the gifts that he's already got, people? It actually starts in... He's really taken in that whole book. <laughs> after Jesus. And so it talks about Jesus to begin with. But then my favorite buddy, Melchizedek, he, he talks about the different inhabited planets that are uh, within about 50 light years from Earth here. And, and I really identify with the chapters that he wrote uh, describing how people are look different because of the environment they grew up in if if the planet didn't have the same gravity or the same atmosphere and right. and he talks about right. all those different beings and and what they look like because of their environment it's a very interesting book but very hard to read just like the bible is okay amen <laughs> yes the microphone is there and waiting for you a lot of the TV shows that I've watched about geoglyphs and how um, spaceships may have picked up energy from them. Have, I was wondering, Bob, if you studied any of those when you were over in, in England, of the rock formations. Like powers at sites that and that kind of the stuff? World. They're all over the are world. Are you talking well, about ley line? Are you, are you talking about, like, Avebury and, and those? All the... You know, where they have rocks laid out for yes. miles, and they oh, were saying yes, that we, this we, is fueling stations right. for, for spaceships or UFOs. Jean and I in uh, France, in, uh, let's see, western France, they have what they call the alignments, and they have these megalithic stones right. that go out in, right. in miles and miles, and nobody knows what they were for. Uh, but they go out in straight lines, and they're just spaced evenly, and... And they would be even hard for anybody to lift in the day they were put there. Uh, but it's a it's a park. It's a national park, but nobody knows what its purpose was. On TV, they suggested that it might be giving off energy so that UFOs could fly over them and pick up energy. They also suggested that the pyramids yep. were for energy yep. space stations. Some of oh. the stuff, um, the ley lines, I, I don't know if anyone looks at ley lines at all. Uh, has anyone really looked up at the distance on a uh, tree line and seen the waves in the tree line? Mm. Okay. At about every 33 foot, there's a nodal point, like we we're acupuncturing with the, the needles. And so... What what's happening there is you're seeing the energy of the earth vibrating through it. And there are certain places that it seems to collect more and it's got a stronger energy and other places where it's weaker. 
And so that may have something to do with what you're talking about because you'll find that a lot of the, um, like pyramids and stuff, are at very strong nodal points. And you go out to the sand dunes in North Dakota, South Dakota, and you'll find uh, rock, uh, loose rock sculptures there, and those are usually over nodal points. Yeah, it makes me wonder, Bob, do you, I was thinking... Thank you. Before you no, no, stay there, because you might have a follow-up. I was wondering, do you have any comments on the Bosnian pyramids? Because you did a lot of studying the Bosnian pyramids, too, so... You knew that, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember. That was a great presentation you did. I really enjoyed that. And, well, I don't remember that I gave a presentation. Didn't you? But, Maybe I was just listening to you but talk But I about did it. talk about it to a okay. few people, yes. Well, there was an interesting thing when we were over in... Um, in um, uh, Europe one year, not not when we were investigating the crab circles. Um, I was to meet a couple uh, at at a ferry dock, and and we didn't meet up, and so we didn't. Uh, they were going to drive me to their place, but they couldn't find me, so I had to spend overnight on the ferry docks and the in the cold, and I kept putting on more clothes all the time. Well, there was a guy there at the docks, and he had. He had a sleeping bag, and he was prepared. But he had just returned from the Bosnian pyramids. And so we got to talking about them. And we spent the whole next day talking about the Bosnian pyramids until we had trains that left at 5 p.m. the next day. And I thought, this is quite a coincidence that, that I get to meet this guy. And he's probably 20 years old and uh, a volunteer for, for the... Um, uh, geologist that's researching the, the pyramids. They, he asks for volunteers and they, they come for a, like a two-week stint and, and help them uh, excavate. And so later he sent me some pictures uh, on, on emails uh, of like the there's a radiation going out the top of the main pyramid up into space. And it seems that it gets stronger the further out it goes out. And, and then he had some pictures of uh, just Spheres um, way up high, UFOs you could call them, uh, circling around the pyramids. And so he sent me some of those pictures. But he said, don't publish them. I don't want them on the Internet. I can't allow you to put them anyplace, but I just wanted to show you. And so we spent the whole day talking about the Bosnian pyramids. And that was quite a coincidence, I thought, just because I missed meeting my friends. <laughs> okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and, and say, Mike, my guess is that you feel like your experiences in contact is ongoing. Is that fair to say? Yes. I don't think I've had any since high school. Okay. Um, I had a lot of horrible nightmares in high school, and I actually wound up going to the hospital with headaches, um, and I would wake up with headaches a lot. So you think it ended after high school. Do you mm -hmm. have any reason why you think that is? or what, um, Well, I moved to Michigan from Ohio after high school. Yep. Of course, they can find you anywhere and yeah. at any time. So I don't think that I lost them, but I could be part of it. Yep. So to the, th the other three of you, too, uh, any ongoing experience? Do you think it's ongoing, or is that kind of ended for you, or what is your kind of take on your experiences? I mean, I was always kind of on a different topic. I was always very spooked as a younger child, always had nightmares and, um, you know, really bad dreams and... Even yeah. around the ages of like three and four, was always very spooked mm -hmm. about stuff. I remember when I was about 
10 I saw the, heard on the news that somebody had seen UFO and it just scared the heck out of me just hearing that. I, I know me personally, I have to say that it's still ongoing because, like I said, just uh, seven months ago is when I got my wonderful tattoo. So, you know. Do you have any ideas around beliefs for why or what's going on or what the purpose is? Or You know, you look stuff up on the Internet, and, you know, like we'd all been saying, ghost and all this kind of stuff follows along with us and all this stuff all my life. And I was just at a friend's house staying with him a couple months back, and, unfortunately he didn't tell me that his dead family members still reside there with the family and next thing you know I'm going down the hallway at three o'clock at night I just got up you know to go to the bathroom and I run into him at three o'clock at the night at his in inside his house and and we're hey hey how you doing man hey hey and you know we just both got done going to the bathroom and so I was like hey have a good night and so I guess he tells me was I walked down the the hallway to go back to my room He's seen this dark shadow follow me whoop, right into my room behind me. So, Oh, now there's a comforting thought. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. And then I'm like, hey, thank God I didn't remember the night. You know, right. so. Well, I, I'm of the belief that you can turn it on and off. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people wish that were true. I know. It, it, yeah, I know. High school was really a bitch. Because mm-hmm. uh, you go down the hallways and you hear... All the teenage chatter from all the girls and all the guys, and it just gets so horrendous. But you eventually learn how to turn it off, and once you can, then, then if you ask them nicely, they usually leave you alone. I've always felt very positive about the whole thing myself. Uh, I have had a number of experiences. Um, I'll, I'll tell you one here doesn't take too long here. Um, our C-SETI group, we, like I said, had about 10 people in it. One of them, her name was Jody, and uh, she was the one that lived near this uh, uh, Blaine crop circle. She was the one that had been abducted all her life. Well, one night I'm laying in bed uh, reading a book. My wife is laying there reading another book beside me, and I get a message from Jody telepathically. She's screaming my name. Bob Schultz, you know, three times in a row, she screamed my name, and I vividly heard it in my brain, and I told my wife, I said, I just received this message. She said, well, if you say so, I didn't hear anything. (laughs) Wasn't for you. (laughs) And so I said, I just want you to witness. It's 10 minutes after 10 on a Monday night, and I'm going to ask Jody sometime in the future. I asked her telepathically what she wanted, but she didn't respond to me. So a couple weeks later, we had uh, our our monthly meeting, and uh, Jody was there. About halfway through the meeting, I said, uh, Jody, I have a question. Did, did you um, scream my name three times in a row a couple weeks ago on a Monday night? She immediately got flushed red in her face, and she said, you heard that? And, and I said, I did. And I mean, she, she lives 10 miles away from me or something like that. <coughs> and um, I said, what did you want? Uh, I heard you. Well, she explained this story. She said she was going to bed. Her, her husband was already in bed. He was asleep. She was taking her house coat off, uh, going in to lay down, and, and the ETs were bugging her that she had to contact Bob Schultz. And it wasn't in words like that. It's a feeling. She said, I, I was just getting this feeling. They, 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 they said, you can't go to bed until you contact 
Bob Shelson. And she says, uh, I'm not going to call him at this time of night. He's probably asleep. And uh, I said, you have to contact him. But again, that's not a word. It's, it's a, a feeling that she was getting. So she put her house coat back on. She's in a farmhouse. She's on the second floor. She walks downstairs. She goes out on the back porch. It's February. It's, it's like really cold outside. And she screamed my name three times into the wild blue yonder, came back inside and said, okay, telepathically, are you guys satisfied now? And they said, yeah, he got the message. You can go to bed there now. There you go. Oh, also, I just want, that's really cool. But also, I just wanted to say, too, I remembered that night when the ghost followed me down the hallway, that just when I went to bed from that, I literally laid my head on the pillow, and I was just ready to go to sleep. I felt this cold, like, ice cube coldness, like an ice sack had been put on my face. And all of a sudden, I heard, Dan, Danny. And I just jumped up, like, what the hell, Pete? And Pete was a dear friend that had died in that house. Uh, Wally's brother had died in that house um, a couple years earlier, and I didn't make nothing of it until that night. I jumped up like, like, beep! and I literally knew his voice. I mean, I knew his voice 100%, and when I felt that coldness in that, that freaked me out. I'm telling you. So, Bob, I kind of want to follow up question with you. You heard, you heard her call Bob Schultz three times, and I've heard different things from people when, when they hear those voices in their head. They say sometimes it sounds like their own voice, so they miss it. Sometimes it sounds very different. For you, did it sound distinctly like that person? Or oh, yes. It did? Okay. For me, it was her. Yeah. I cool. just knew right away it was Jody. So, so you asked for crop circles. They heard you. They gave you crop circles. You're driving down the road. They say turn here. You hear that. You turn there. Do you think there's a lot going on that maybe you're missing or you're not paying attention to or that maybe we are all getting and we're not paying attention to? Or? Yeah, I think it's, most people don't pay attention to the messages they receive. They should maybe act on them. Okay, I just want to say, sorry to really cut them off, but I always think I'm crazy dealing with that kind of stuff, okay? And I deal with it, like, all the time. I really do. Sorry to cut you off. I really am. But I'm not kidding you. I, I like, put it in the back of my mind going, no, nah, I'm not going to listen to it. But them voices will not shut up, you know. But oh, go ahead. Well, how many are familiar with uh, Echo Bodine? Not, nobody, huh? I know oh, the name. Okay. Um, well, Karen over here just checked in the library back here, and I guess there's three books in the library by Echo Bodine. But she's a local, I would call a psychic, that lives in the, near Lake Harriet. <clears throat> and she gets these uh, messages all the time. She gives classes, and she says you should act on them. For instance, you might um, get a feeling that you need to go to the post office. That's one of the examples she uses. But you don't have anything to mail at the post office. But you should act on it and go there anyway, and maybe on the way something else happens. Oh, yeah. You should have noticed, you know. And, and so she thinks you should act on more of those. Read I'm going to listen. Books. They're really great. I'll be listening. And actually, so I'm curious. So you said you kept ignoring the voices, ignoring the voices, ignoring the voices. Now hearing Bob, would you be open to following up on those voices going, I think this is something uh, I'm going to check with. Like a dang bloodhound. I'm okay. telling you. Oh, yeah. Just uh, yell out to Bob Schultz and he'll hear you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody tonight at about 2.30 in the morning. Hey, Bob, remember my voice, okay? <laughs> remember my voice, Bob. I'll be talking to you later, buddy. Dan, actually, if you want, I'd love to hear a report. If you, well, either way, whether you get responses, positive or negative, it'd be interesting to hear what you find from that. So. For real. Cool. That'd be a good experiment to do sometime. 
Sure. Yep. Yep. You ready for that? Yeah. <laughs> and even if people wanted to try, they start saying, "No, shut up." <laughs> It'd be interesting too if people in this in this room right now started going, "Okay, whenever I hear a voice, go to the post office or whatnot." I'm just going to try it and see what happens, and yeah. start tracking that, and start noting that down, and just seeing, you know, if uh, if there's a any if everything is normal or if, if something happens that's significant when you do that. So I'd be curious if if people wanted to try that. I literally knew I wasn't crazy though. That's all. Did you? Yeah. Which voice was telling you that? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that one. <laughs> okay. I said that my uh, female cousin, her husband and son, had been abducted. And uh, they were telling us a ghost story about his mother they thought had come back to their house in uh, New York. And um, they actually heard her talking to the children. And they opened the door, and the room was cold, just like you said. Mm -hmm. And they saw the sheet on the bed, and it was, like, raised up as though a person was sleeping in it. And... um, it turns out that that, and they told us about that during that visit when my cousin got married. And it turns out they found the picture that they had taken of it later, and they didn't realize they had it with them. So I looked at it, and uh, I said to my cousin, I said, who is Eva? And she turned as white as a ghost and said, how did you come up with that name? Well, she had a friend named Eva that had passed away, and she had always thought that her husband's daughter was the reincarnation of her friend Eva because they had the same likes and dislikes and she would ask this little girl questions like where'd you go to college and she would say what her friend would have said and then she said I never went to college and, and just crazy stuff like that and you know she had likes and dislikes and mannerisms but um, we're kind of a little bit off the topic right now but um, you know I was able to look at that picture and just come up with a name that correlated with that cool there's a lot of stories like that. i tell you one thing. You'd love to hear my Thunderbird story. I'm telling you, you know <laughs> My son, he goes like this. I'll just say it real quick. My son runs in from the outside, and I, you know, I'm ex-military, so I have a wonderful stash of guns, let's just say, okay? So my son comes in, and he says, with these big eyes, this big, give me the gun! I'm like, what the heck? And he wasn't playing around. He's like, give me the gun. So, of course, I knew what gun he wanted. So I give him my big old gun. He runs outside just bam, 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 bam. And I should have been, I don't know why I wasn't running out behind him. I just was like, yeah, I have the gun. Because we lived out in the country. It was just a normal thing. So, next thing you know, he's like, bam, bam. I run out the door, and I see my goat is just limping. The biggest goat I have, too. It was this really big male goat. He's just limping. And I'm like, what happened? Did you shoot the goat? And he's like, no, Dad, I shot the bird in the sky that had the goat. <laughs> so, like, uh, Uh, yep, I seen forty feet on mine. I'm not kidding, forty feet, and that thing did not even flop. The weirdest thing. Yep, it was just sailing in the last six feet of its wings, it just grew like this as it tilted around. The craziest thing I saw too was every damn bird we have in Minnesota. Literally, I mean eagles, seagulls, sparrows. I mean, every bird, and I mean every bird, was up in the sky around this thing when it was flying, at like a big smoke screen around it. They were landing. The, this reminded me of a wing, actually. They were right, landing on the wing, eagles and seagulls, and just started pecking at its wing. And the next thing you know, it pulled this huge neck back into the 
into the body like this, and it had this white ring of feathers around it, and it would just snap out at it like this, and they'd fly off. Then, sure enough, next guy would land down and just start doing the same thing. It was the weirdest thing I ever saw in my life. Birds attacking the predator. Yeah. Were they attacking or? Oh, yeah, they were attacking. Oh, yeah, they, they were going at this bird. I mean, I'm not kidding you. Every time they just kept landing on it and just started tearing it apart. And it, it just, like I said, just, and it did fly off. Did you say at one point that one of your experiences, the creatures were like really little? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, when you guys mentioned the first thing, yeah, they came out, and I, I, I really have hardly a recollection of it. It's so fuzzy, but I do remember them coming down our little tiny ramp, just like out of the movies, and it was like two inches maybe tall if you're lucky. That's why I really want to get hypnotized, folks. I hope we have a part two to this. I hope you all come back. I really do because part two, I'm going to have some stuff to talk about, I guarantee you, because they tell me I'll recognize and I'll remember everything after the hypnosis. So hopefully we'll have a part two and we'll have more to even, I'll have more to share with you all. Well, hopefully your hypnosis will go better than mine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the guy I had to hypnotize me. He put me under, and within 30 seconds, popped me out, and he was white as a sheet and wouldn't talk to me for a year. Okay, that's an experience, folks. Yeah. I, yeah. No, I think I want a little bit better than that, if you don't yeah, mind. I think you don't okay. know why. Yeah. You don't know why? Oh, he said, you've been programmed, and I was told no in certain terms not to do anything. Hmm. So... Interesting. Cool. So, you know, before we wrap up, though, I wanted to give each speaker an opportunity for some closing comments and final words. So I don't know if we want to start down with Bob or start with start down at that end. Any closing thoughts, Bob? <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, I, like the others, I could tell some more stories, but I don't have any closing thoughts. Sorry. Okay, Mike? It's like Bob, I a lot of more stories, but really no closing thoughts. Okay. But thanks for listening, being open-minded, and I'll laugh into my face. Joe. Uh, I'm expecting the weather to hit sometime around 8. Yeah. Oh, good, good. We'll be out of here by then. And Ken? Um, yeah, I, my closing thoughts are like this. I guess I'm before you all, in all honesty, trying to, I guess, redeem some part of my life, get some part of my life back because, you know, in all honesty, these UFO things and the alien things, you know, okay, let me put it to you like this. Bill? Bill, what's his last name? McNeff. Yeah, McNeff. He's a wonderful guy. I love him to death. I really do. He's the first guy to help me out with MUFON and all that stuff, and he's a great field investigator and all that kind of stuff. Um, but let me tell you, he has such a crassness about his job. Now, he, he's like this. Well, Ken, you really shouldn't say that the aliens affected or changed your life too much. You really didn't do And I'm like, Bill, wait. Wait a second here, Bill. Um, I want to just reflect on to you that I have lost my family. I no longer have my family because of being alienated. So there you go. I mean, so I told Bill that's, you know, and I've kind of changed him, believe it or not, because now he does, he's not so blase, blase about it. He actually realized there's feelings and emotions and all the other kind of stuff to go with this stuff. So. Yep, yep. Cool, cool. There you go. All right. How about that for some closing thoughts? Let's give our panelists a big round of applause. So hope you enjoyed today's meeting. Uh, we'll see you next month. Have a great time, and hopefully we'll see you at Sarnas. And if not, keep your eyes on the skies. Move on, Minnesota. Take care of yourselves, and have a great month.